Hey, this is Jonathan with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and I have with me now two guests. So this is our first time where we have multiple uh, guests at the same time, and I have both Katarina and Dylan, and they're with Equity Tree. We'll talk a little bit more about their platform and what's there, but first, I want to make sure that they introduce themselves. So Katarina, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Jonathan, thank you very much for having us. It's a pleasure. Uh, always happy to jump on and uh, with our fellow investors and share um, our story, our journey, and what we are here to share with the community. Uh, well, I'm a mobile home park owner, investor, operator, originally from Moscow, Russia. Uh, Privet. Yeah, Privet. And uh, immigrated to States 13 years ago, uh, had started in single family rentals, had my turnkey property, uh, experienced a couple of evictions pretty quick. So figured that single family real estate is not, you know, residential rather, is not quite scalable. And in order to protect myself and my investments, I decided to look into commercial Commercial real estate, as you know, multifamily apartment buildings are quite competitive market and and capital intensive as well. Mm-hmm. Not having much capital to work with, uh, decided to look into mobile home park investing and uh, got my first property in Florida just over two years ago and uh, had my partners, work with two partners on mobile home park investing front. So we got a couple of parks since. And um, yeah, so that's kind of I my start in real estate uh, investing. Last year was uh, working on different deals, operations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Found out how it was not easy to keep track of multiple things and, and investors and partners and reporting deal performance. So started figuring out the way to, uh, you know, to help us with managing deals and, and partners. So started putting together this uh, system to work with uh, with uh, those pieces of our business and. You know, and then uh, join forces with Dylan, who has lots of experience and has worked in, in those areas previously. So here we are. <laughs> well, before we jump into a little bit more detail in, in, in both of your backgrounds, Dylan, would you like to introduce yourself there? Sure. So my story in a nutshell is that I'm currently 26 years old. I bought my first rental property at 21 years old. I grew up in, uh, you know, middle-class family and just north of New York City. Um, my mom was a teacher. My dad was uh, you know, a stock trader for some time and, and recruiter. And, and uh, I, so I wasn't directly exposed to a lot of entrepreneurship. I saw a lot of the corporate world. And at, at a certain point, I drew the line in the sand and said, some way, somehow, I'm going to find my way into the entrepreneurial world. And reading a lot of books, real estate just seemed to keep on coming back to me. So it started off as it does with many people with rich dad poor dad and then diving into all the other real estate books to get things started so i went out to go work for a real estate company at 20 and then started saving up my money to get my first rental property and then shortly after that i got a duplex and 
Uh, from there, I realized that I needed a way to scale. So I saw multifamily as being a great route to do that. Um, a scale from the sense of I saw that my life was going to be very predictable for the next, yeah, I could see it at 22 years old, I could then see what 30 years old looked like. And that was a scary thought for me. I just didn't like the idea of just something oh, being so. If you don't mind me asking, what did you think 30 year old, 30 years old was going to look like for you? This is going to, this is interesting to me. Well, at that, following that path and that progression, I would have had a lot of single family properties. <laughs> okay. Got right? it. So, so I would have been probably pretty okay. Right. I would have been doing well by, conventional standards i'm sure if i were to have just stuck to the path and stayed with it and i'd probably have paid off some mortgages and you know all over the country in that sense but but i i think that was i think it was more just my personality type just did not align with the uh you know the the fact that my no matter how hard i worked or what i did like it was it was that was that was if things worked well what if illness came over you know or what if something happened in life like it was only downside from there that was in a perfect world i hit that right which is things never go as planned right so i wanted something that had more upside that was going to be a little bit lead to more of an adventurous life and that's when i was exposed to multifamily syndication i really was just enamored with the whole vehicle and how it works and and I just went all in just studying every single day and um, studied for you know, over a year before I got my first deal. And um, you know, the first deal ended up being 21 units in upstate New York uh, where I went to school. So life goes in circles. And then from there, uh, I ended up partnering with uh, a few guys that had you know, more experience and they had existing ownership experience. So we started to scale pretty quickly jumping into 132 units um, followed up by 146 and then 243 and so on. So, so over the last few years at this point, I've worked on about 750 uh, doors of, of multifamily real estate, um, you know, number of JVs and then, and then a number of uh, syndications along the way. Um, but that's when Katarina and I had this conversation about what she was doing. Um, I, I first got in contact with her last fall. She started building about a year ago. And, um, you know, as, as I saw the progress she had made and, and the, the base that was being built there, I, at the time I was spending $15,000 a year. I think I just wrote a check for $15,000 for this, this other uh, platform, which is a painful thing to, you know, for me, I was, there's a lot of money for, for I think that'd be painful for a lot so, of first timers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was thinking to myself, well, I can only imagine next year as I have more deals done, they're going to charge me 20,000 and I can buy a car for that amount. Right. So maybe I should, yeah. You know, you know, so, so I was just starting to look at, um, you know, the, the price was, that was just seemed so disproportionate to what uh, was there. And it, there was no, there really wasn't many valid options as to where to go. So um, I think we just found it to be a great timing to build something that that's very accessible um, that, that can help all sponsors of all different levels, because of course, if you're starting off, you're not even going to consider anything that's, that's, you know, 5,000 or more, uh, per year to, to right. get things going. So, um, right. that was, uh, that was a big thing for us and, um, yeah, it's been great. I, you know, I, so I think we've done a lot together on the product development. We've been live now for, for several months and, and, um, getting off to a great start. So exciting stuff. Okay. So I've got I've got a bunch of questions already that I prepared previously, but then also as you mentioned before, um, Dylan, you mentioned some time back just in this this little um, thing that that it did not what you were doing before with single family didn't align with your personality. What what did you mean by that? Well, I think if you listen to someone like Tony Robbins, he oftentimes will say that everyone 
in life needs a certain level of certainty and then a certain level of uncertainty, right? So I think for myself, I happen to be wired in a way where I can live with a pretty large amount of uncertainty. And I, I sort of find the excitement in the ambiguity uh, that exists in the entrepreneurial world where you, you really don't know what the future looks like. You, you, oftentimes you have no clue what three years looks like, but you, you hardly know what next week looks like a lot of times. So, um, you know, it keeps it very, uh, keeps it much more exciting versus for me, I think in a, in a job that is, that is very stable doing the same thing. I, I kind of find myself feeling like a trained monkey after a certain point and it yeah. just doesn't, uh, doesn't sit as well with me. I like to, I like, I guess enough variety. So that's, that's a key for anybody who's listening or watching us. You know, uh, if your personality type is that you would like to take a little bit more risk, you would like to be more entrepreneurial, or if you're in your job right now and you're intrapreneurial, I, I learned about that. Yep. You're kind of an entrepreneur within totally. the companies. Um, but this, this may be the type of business that's for you. Um, you also mentioned another thing that you read, Rich Dad. Katarina, did that was that one of your books that kind of started you as well, or um, what started you kind of doing the, the the mobile? I know you mentioned your first deal, but generally, you know, some people I found read a book or something or before they get into their first deal. What did what what inspired you to kind of like that one thing that made you want to to cross the threshold into uh, real estate? Period. Yeah. Well. Um... I think the fact that I purchased uh, my first apartment uh, back in Moscow, um, so I was, you know, 24 at the time, and then when I immigrated, I had to obviously leave it behind and, and get it uh, rented. So at that point, when I figured that the tenant will pay my mortgage plus some extra, that kind of clicked and made sense. I was like, this is, this is a pretty neat thing to do. So let me see how I can replicate. And obviously in America, this is even more prevalent and more uh, known that you could do this as a, as a business. So then I started reading bigger pockets because I was looking for how can I create more passive income? And then I found Ben Lebovich, who is who was uh, posted on Bigger Pockets, and who is a big buy and hold investor. So I just started reading there and learning how people were doing it. And I noticed that it's very quickly you can realize that people are doing it all kinds of different ways, and there are so many investment types that you can find yourself in and try and and um, and there are many people who can help you out along the way as well. Exactly. So for, again, anybody else listening, thinking about getting into multifamily, uh, Bigger Pockets is a place that you can go. It's a community. It's an online website. Um, you can go. It's for free. There are subscription levels where you get additional access to information or training. Uh, we highly suggest that. I'm pretty sure all three of us would say amen to that. Also, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you haven't read that, that's another book that got gets people involved. I know that got me involved in, in wanting to do things within real estate is reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I heard, um, we talked about the, the type of personality that you need to have. It's entrepreneurial. As you can hear in Katarina's story, again, she's entrepreneurial. She bought her first apartment at 24. Uh, again, uh, Dylan did it at, I think, 21. You did your first, uh, your first deal? 
mm-hmm. that you're supposed to do. So early 20s is not too young. You can get out there. You can hustle. You can make it happen. Um, there were a couple of things I think that uh, you and I had in, com- uh, in common, Katarina. You are a project manager or recovering project manager, I understand. <laughs> Always a project manager. Always a project manager. <laughs> Always a project. Yeah, so that came just from an uh, advertising background that I had back in, in, in Moscow. Um, I used to work in advertising agency with a client service director, so I was in charge of running uh, nationwide campaigns for larger brands, uh, IBM, American Express, Kimberly Clark, and such. So. It is very exciting to me having a multi-stage, uh, you know, complex project. Just very exciting to see how it all comes to uh, comes together. Yeah, and that that I guess that experience uh, really was uh, organic fit to uh, managing commercial property, operating commercial property. I think yep. uh, that was definitely very helpful. Yes, it does. So you could easily look at a Gantt chart. You could put together a schedule. If you're an agile person, you could put together a Trello board. So all those things, if you're a project manager, I think in the IT space, this is also another another area for you. Um, Dylan, um, I think that the space of the of Equity Tree, Equity Tree was started initially by you, Katarina, as we, we heard, and you needed it as a way of being able to do kind of investor management. When you're in this space, there's a lot of words that get kind of thrown out, a lot of terms. And, you know, are you guys investor management? Are you property management? Are you mm-hmm. asset management? Can you kind of give us a little bit of understanding of, of where Equity Tree kind of fits into all of that? Yep. Yeah. So there's really there's three different layers to it. We actually just spoke on this during a training call earlier today. At the base layer, the most granular layer and the closest to the, the pulse, if you will, is the property management. Uh, the property management is taking care of, of you know, as everyone knows, all, all the leasing processes, all the day-to-day, all the turnover, all the improvements, you know, really being the ones actually executing on the business plan. Sitting above the property manager exists the asset manager. And the asset manager is typically the one that in the beginning of the project created the pro forma and the projected budget to follow along. And they're typically more familiar with what that looks like. And the property manager is more familiar with the day-to-day processes. So the asset manager's job is to hold the property manager accountable to the day-to-day functions as well as executing on the business plan and making sure that the property is performing up to pace of what they initially set out on. And if not, they're, they're going to be basically re-underwriting the deal and setting new projections that, that make sense based on the new information. And then above that, you have the investor relations. And, and investor, I like to call it investor communications, right? Investor relations seems to be front-end and back-end, but at this layer, you're, 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 it's more like investor reporting, really, is what you're doing. Okay. And the investor reporting is the, the final stage to the whole process. But the funny thing about investor reporting that people in the business come to realize is that investor reporting is oftentimes what makes the other stages really move quickly and holds things high and tight because how so? if you have, how so? So think about the frequency of, of your investor reporting. Investor reporting, most people that are dealing with millions of dollars of investor money take that pretty seriously. And they usually feel a little bit of pressure to perform for the um, 
investor report or for, for the money that they've raised so far. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're going to want to have something to say when they have, you know, communications with the investors. Now, I'll say 10 years ago, even, you know, five years ago, it was, it was much more common practice to uh, do quarterly reports and okay. you just send, send quarterly reports out, send your numbers out, send the check out. Um, and that, that's all there is to it. Right. And when you have quarterly reports, you're, you're probably not saying everyone, right. I'm not, of course, there's always exceptions to it, but a lot of people are probably running into their accountant's office two weeks before the quarter is about to close out dialing in the last three months of numbers, dialing in to you know, see what's going on in the business plan and see where it's executed and getting ready for that investment call. Right. And at that point, the problem could have, if there is a problem that was building in the background, they wouldn't have noticed it until it's too late or until it's much bigger problem than it would have been if you said you had monthly reporting, right? So I, I think the frequency of reporting is really important, right? Because if you stare at your numbers every day, then you know you're going to catch any problems really quickly because you're you're so familiar with them and you're so ingrained in them. I'm not saying it, you don't have to report daily. I don't I don't think anyone would want that, but I think a no. monthly report manual holds us all to higher levels of accountability, which yeah. which actually improves the asset management and actually improves the property management at, at a base level. So then, in terms of um, reporting, you would recommend more frequent reporting maybe monthly over quarterly, because I think that that's also a good idea given COVID-19, right? And mm -hmm. where we are, you know, at the time of this recording, we're you're kind of in the middle of it. It's been several months already that, you know, this has been there. And right now, a lot of people believe that the rents have been propped up um, by, you know, a lot of the government programs and that when those programs finally, you know, disappear and leave, then we're going to probably see a hit or a downward spiral as it relates to to rents and collections. And so, if you have a plan, you know, where you're trying to perform on, you know, on on money, you don't want to wait till quarterly to be able to say, hey, there's an issue with collections. Doing that on a monthly basis and getting that information from your property manager um, is really important. And so, Equity Tree, as I understand, allows you to be able to put in both your projected and your actuals for PL, if you will, for, for the, is that correct? It, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, I think this, uh, this is uh, one of the things that we want to make sure is front and center of any operator is that uh, you can, you are encouraged to put in your projected at the start of the deal. You can put in your projected KPIs uh, a year ahead how many years you want uh, and make sure then you keep track and you put in your actuals and then it will show you the variance if there is any on how well you're performing so if graphic is right in front of you in front of your investors they can log in and just uh, depending on how well you keep in track and obviously how well you are about updating the data they can see um, they can see the they can see the um, outlook of how it's looking. So there is no surprise at the end of the quarter or year whether we're on track or off track. So yeah, that, have, that's very important for us. And I can imagine, as you all were saying, if you have multiple deals where you have maybe a different set of investors into each deal doing a monthly report could be very challenging if you don't have a system like this to kind of help manage that. Oh, so as I remember seeing uh, Equity Tree, you could 
again, do this same, you know, reporting monthly um, for all of your deals and then make sure that only those people who are in, assigned to that particular deal or invested in that deal see that information. I think you also have like a documents area. So like say if somebody has reports from a property manager, you can, 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 can you, you can upload mm -hmm. that or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's a document section to, you know, to handle any, any of the ongoing documents or pictures and, and there's always a two way communication feature to be able to have people ping you if they have questions or anything that, that does pop up along the way. I think if anyone listening is asking what is the difference between equity tree and another investor management system out there, I think it really comes down to three things. Uh, number one is the community aspect that we have built around it. We have, in addition to private Facebook group, we do weekly calls with everyone. And we're really focused on not just the specifics on how to use the tool and providing tutorials, but we're, we're actually going in and showing them how to be better at building relationships with investors, raising capital, ongoing asset management, and so on. Um, two is the deal performance dashboard. I think that's probably the biggest differentiator from a, from a feature standpoint that we have in place. So, so market, market, you first heard it here when, when, when everyone else starts to put one in place, this is where, this is where they got the idea. Um, and, and then, um, lastly, I would say price point, you know, we, we definitely are competing heavily on, on price point. I, I know we're the lowest price out of anything out there at this point. So. But your, your roadmap, your product roadmap that you've shared with, uh, with some of us, you know, who are soon to be early adopters, if not already early adopters is going to be very, very important because, um, you know, one of the things that, I, that we're using right now is uh, active campaign to manage, you know, kind of as a CRM to manage our investor pool. Uh, and those that may be interested in, you know, getting newsletters and things of that sort. And there may be uh, on the way some integrations with uh, larger organizations or, or software like Active Campaign, which would be great. Because that seamless introduction or integration would help with Big you know, not, not only us managing the pool, but then now managing those that are actually invested in certain uh, investments. Now, Katerina, you, you mentioned that, you know, you have a bunch of investors that you're managing right now, About how many are you investing in, in, in how do you monthly report using equity tree? Do you, is there a function where you can send them out something like you would like active campaign or something? How, how do you use that? No, uh, Jonathan, that works exactly like that. Whoever invests in the specific offering, um, I would go end of the month, beginning of you know the following month, right? And I would uh, I can send them a message uh, through the portal and uh, attach documents, so they will be those documents will be saved in, in the within the portal, and they can uh, investors partners can come in at any time and see those documents, so they are saved in, in their portal. Uh, there's also, for example, K1s end of the year, yeah. uh, you know, we have opportunity as operators principals, we can go in and save K1s in the profile of each specific investor. So this, uh, there is also space for those type of uh, information within the portal as well. So it's totally yeah, manageable within. Well, that's that's excellent. So, with respect, Dylan, to uh, Katarina mentioned security. I mean, what type of security do you have, if you will, on the back end of your or front and back end of your system? Is it a is it secure at state and is it secure in transit? What 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 type of stuff are you using so that everybody's yeah. information is secure? Yeah. So, 
number one, we have two-factor authentication. We have firewall protection. We have encrypted uh, data in place. The most sensitive information naturally is, is the banking information of investors that gets hosted in these softwares because accountants will use that to help with distributions when that time comes. So, so that's, that's the area through the development we put a lot of uh, time and attention into to make sure that, that that's encrypted and, and safe um, where it is. And then beyond that, we have insurance um, policies, would, which also acts as another layer of, of security. Okay. Jonathan, yeah. one thing I wanted to mention, um, you know, because this is this was kind of brought to our attention, I think last week, and uh, you know, and Dylan, you know, can confirm that this is one of the things that we even never thought of, but it is apparently, um, you know, one of the rare practices when. Uh, we as a, as a company, we do not uh, have access or we do not uh, kind of keep the right to contact anyone else's investors. We do not. Um, that's uh, good. Exactly. That's good. So your investors are your investors. Yeah. So just to clarify, we do not uh, keep any contact information for them. We're not using them to market them on our own or in any other shape or form. So. I yeah, I think that's, that's a big part, right? There's no, yeah, yeah there's no data. Uh, we're not data mining or you exactly. know, we're not, not going to open up the doors in five years and sell all your leads off, you know, so. <laughs> that's, that's really good. I mean, in the <laughs> world of where we are, you know, security is, is really, really important and making sure that the investors know that, you know, whoever they're doing business with is, uh, is protected when they're on your platform. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a beautiful thing there. Um, Let's see, we've got a couple more minutes before uh, wrapping up. Uh, there was a question with respect to, I think there was something else here. Uh, I think we've answered most of these already um, in, terms of your, in terms of your technology. So um, do you want to mention the price or how does uh, one get in contact with, uh, uh, with uh, Equity Tree through either of you to be able to talk a little bit more, whether that's you know, mobile home um, syndications? Because you guys do syndications too. You do Series B syndications in, in mobile homes? You can. One absolutely can do that. There are also mobile home park funds. Uh, so absolutely can do any. I'll, I'll be doing some soon. <laughs> we'll be doing some soon. I'm catching the bug. There you go. So mobile home or apartment syndication. But how do they get in contact with you if they want to learn a little bit more about Equity Tree and bringing that on as a part of their uh, their ultimate system or operations? Yep. So so if you want to get a hold of us, you can always visit us at equitytree.io. And on there, you'll have our contact info as well as you can set up a, a demo call. My email is Dylan at equitytree.io. Katerina's email is Katerina at equitytree.io. Yeah. Um, so you can feel free. I'm sure we'll list on the show notes. So, so feel free to reach out to us directly if you have any questions. As far as pricing goes, um, at the time of this recording, the pricing is is a thousand dollars per year grandfathered in, um, and and we also have a lifetime option for for the right fits. Um, so that's that's the time of the recording. But um, we we so again we're offering very you know very uh, good we call it you know early adopter pricing for those that are looking to grow with us and contribute ideas and and build this alongside us and uh yeah that's that's where it's at i think becoming an early adopter is the best thing here you know it may not have the feature rich set as some of the other more pricey options but again if you're an early adopter you get to 
potentially have some hand in shaping the product so that it's the best possible product that's out there. Absolutely. All right. So Katarina, I'm going to ask this one to you, Dylan. We've got about a couple minutes left. What is your number one way of being able to get uh, investors into your deals? I think uh, it's just a matter of performing well on the previous ones. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody's I, new, if somebody's new, how how do they go out and find uh, new new investors? I think put yourself out there and show them how you uh, how you go about marketing for deals. Show them your process. Show them that you're thoughtful. Show them how you market for deals. Show them how you underwrite. How you learn things, and uh, just document your uh, progress and. Uh, just put yourself out there. I think that's that's the key. Show them how you know who you are as as a as a person, as a professional. There you go. There you go. What about you, Dylan? What's the best way that someone could reach out and find new investors? Well, I, I always believe that syndication will always remain a relationship-based business, right? Relationship-based investments. So the best thing you can do is just form relationships over time and and not always have the ulterior motive in mind, but but get yourself out there actively. Um, you know, actively, just like this, right? We're 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 getting a chance to have you know long form uh, communication where people can get a better read on who we are and what we're what we're all about and what our strategy is or our mindset outlook is, right? And, and then you're eventually going to attract people that align with your thought process. And I think that's that's what it's about. It's about get enough volume out there in terms of content and getting yourself and just being authentic. And then eventually you'll attract the right people in that will, will prove a, a quality fit. Excellent. So Gary V says, put out the content, good, bad, or indifferent. It's out there. That's right. That's <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, listen, I want to thank you both Katarina and Dylan for your time and for your expertise in what you've shared. I think that there are some, some, some things here for people who are brand new or those who are even seasoned operators uh, to be able to connect with you. Maybe we'll bring you guys back to, to talk a little bit more about specifically what you're working on and uh, your angle about each one of those things uh, in the future. So listen, thanks again for your time. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Thank thanks you. for having us. Right.